face. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, is, which is hazardous. Um, Knocks you out cold. You've broken glasses like that before. I hate that. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Rockstar CMO F. And the M is for marketing and the F is the value you decided. You're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this week's podcast says it's my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my marketing career from techie to CMO and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 21st of January 2022. I hope you've had a good week and you are well safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. A long play, epic 80s remix of an episode this week. We kick off with me and Jeff Clark talking about marketing, education and books. On the topic of books, Ted Rubin and John Andrews stop by to chat about their new book. And we wind down the week with my chum, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual class. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. For this word, we'll be right back. For this word. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to our first segment. Jeff Clark is a former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and principal strategic advisory here at Rockstar CMO. And if you know me, you'll know why we have a longer episode this week. As aside from having Ted and John on the show, Jeff and I got onto the topic of books. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. Jeff, how are you, my friend? I am doing very well. Jolly uh, good. Good week, I guess. You know, everything seems to be going well so far. Uh, how's how's the uh, how's the winter treating you? Are you are you deep on in the snow at the moment, or we we have you know that uh, that back and forth between you know really cold icy weather uh -huh. and then it warms up and it rains and back and forth and uh -huh. back and forth. So it's 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 not good for skiing uh -huh. yet, and um, but hopefully we'll be getting there. Ah, nice. Are you a skier then, Jeff? That's something I like about. doing Nordic skiing. Yeah, I'm more of a. I'm of more on the flat plain than on the down the steep hill. Type <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> I've never really been, you know, an adrenaline rush type of guy. So, wow, but that's hard work though. That Nordic skiing, though, isn't it? Without gravity helping you out. <laughs> I think. That, <laughs> I think that's the point. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely more the take a slip sip from the hip flask and then chuck myself off the top of a mountain with some. 
<laughs> so I think on my feet. <laughs> but I haven't done it for years. I mean, I don't think my thighs could take it right now. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Lovely. So uh, that's the weather covered and uh, extreme sports. Nice. That's agenda <laughs> item number one. Uh, but last week, uh, we started a little series about marketing education, and we discovered the depth of marketing education that both of us have, which was... Uh, we started Jell. out with very little, yeah, and then we had to we had to educate ourselves. And and in the discussion, I can't remember whether we talked about it while we had record hit or whether it was afterwards and we hadn't weren't recording. But we were talking about the books that kind of shaped us as marketers, and so I so we thought we'd share them with our listener. Absolutely, which, uh, I think was a what thing. a great so, idea. So, <laughs> in, well, <laughs> well, it was yours. Yeah, so that's, why oh, that's, that's right. <laughs> That's why, that's why you're on the show, Jeff. You're the brains of the operation. So, so, so we've nominated, um, and I struggled with this, um, uh, and uh, if, I had, if I was on video, and as you've seen, Jeff, I've got 13 books on my desk as I leafed through my, my, my bookshelves uh, to try and pick three. But I have picked three, so we're going to talk about three each. Um, so uh, so um, I, I need to say at this point, what say you, Jeff? <laughs> are books important books are definitely <laughs> important you know and and, and um you know i think as we were talking last last time it's like you know we both came from non-marketing education yeah. and, and work experience and we come into marketing and so you know you, you you definitely it's it's a little bit on you to uh to educate mm. yourself unless you yeah. you know your your cmo your marketing leaders have sort of put some sort of enablement plan together which is always what I would recommend. But, yeah. you know, I think that one of the things that um, is, is I was, I was looking at my bookshelf um, is that, you know, there just, there were some books where it, it kind of hit me at a point in time where I was working through mm. something. And so, yeah. And so it's like, wow, that really, um, yeah. that really helped. And, and, and I don't, you know, unlike you, I don't keep a lot of, uh, business books or books in general because my wife always looks at the bookshelf and, and goes one by one and says do we really need that one do you really need that one can we can we get that to the library or wow. <laughs> and she doesn't wow. like having a lot of clutter um but wow uh, i see i was brought up in a and my, my parents loved books and they're almost like sacred items i mean the out of shot that you can't see at the bottom shelf is like how to learn IBM AIX from uh-huh. like 1985. <laughs> I got there's there's Java books. There's all sorts of books. Out. I've got only got the good marketing books in view, and so I can't throw anything away. <laughs> so when are you going to go back and read about AIX? Never. I just like having it. Yeah. It's a thing. And and I was actually going to ask you if you're a um. May, uh, so you might might be a Kindle guy then, and you can keep your books without your wife knows. Yeah, no, I haven't. I have not. <laughs> I, I I try to spend uh, since I spend so much time working on screen. I try to spend mm. my off time not working on screen. So I haven't gravitated yeah. to Kindle. Although my when I'm with my son and he's like reading, so I recommended to him a thousand page book on medieval history, and wow. he's got it on his Kindle and. At that point, I was kind of envious because usually I get a big history book and, it, you know, I'm reading yeah. it in bed and it falls on my face, <laughs> so, <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is hazardous. Um, Knocks you out cold. You've broken glasses like that before. I, I certainly, <laughs> yeah, certainly could have. All right. Well, let's kick this off. What's your first book then, Jack? My first book is, um, mm-hmm. is Ogilvy on Advertising by the 
the famed advertising executive on Madison Avenue, David Ogilvy. And yeah. um, so, as I mentioned, you know, like I said it's like some of the books are important is because it kind of hits you at a particular time. And I was, yeah. when I was um, working at a company called Kronos, I was in charge of advertising. So, you know, getting mm-hmm. a book on advertising from an authority yeah. just seemed kind of like a, a no brainer, so to speak. But one of the things that actually, that, that, was to me, I found really um, educational, for lack of a better term for it. Is just, you know, you know, he was just so focused on there's basics in in advertising. This really applies to communication. Mm-hmm. I also was writing a lot mm-hmm. of direct marketing stuff, and so mm-hmm. you know, it's, it was always about you know focus. And it's like, okay, how are you going to get the audience's attention? You know, which is typically where mm-hmm. an image would come in. You know, what's the promise? You know, what, what are you promising to that audience? Uh, you know, are you going to make their, <laughs> obviously, yeah. this is pretty consumer oriented. You're making their teeth whiter. Yeah. Or are you going to have them a car that gets them the girl? Or, yeah. you know, what, what are the, what is the thing that's, that's the promise that you're making? And then what do you want them to do next? You know, and, and it's like a little bit of copy is nice, but it's not necessary. It, you just got to stick to that. And again, this is whether I was writing a direct mail letter mm-hmm. or an email. Or I was yeah. working on an advertisement, and since I was the advertising guy, and I was always working with you know people in product marketing or industry marketing, but typically product marketing at the time, um, it was like you know I know you guys want to say all kinds of things, but <laughs> how are we going to catch mm-hmm. their attention? What are we promising them? What do we want them to do? You were going? Do they go to a website? Do they nice? Them, you know, do they nice. make a phone call to us? Do they? Yeah. They just need to read something or, or, you know, yeah, you yeah. know, it doesn't always have to be yeah. a call to action that focuses on yeah. you, but it's like, you what, just got to yeah. keep What's it the point? Simple. You know, and we used to, well, I mean, that, we used to do that's these, like, yeah. oh, I was just going to say, you know, we used to, the, an agency I worked with, you know, had us do like a one page strategy statement because they were like, yeah. If your strategy statement goes beyond a page, I can't write an ad about it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And what I love about this, I mean, when was that book published? Eighty-three. Eighty-three. Right. Well, I probably picked so, it up I mean, in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, I mean, in my short list of books, it's like start with why, obviously, by Simon Sinek. But I didn't want to go for the obvious, and that's exactly the same sort of thing, isn't it? And and that's what drives us as marketers: those basic fundamentals, which is what are you trying to do? Right? Why are you doing it? And be real, and be real specific. Like, you know, who is the audience? It's not like yeah, oh, you know, yeah. everybody out there, you know, who runs a business from yeah. you know. Sea level people in businesses from yeah. five hundred thousand to two billion. It's like okay, that is yeah. that's a lot of companies. <laughs> so, and, the, and the nice thing is, I mean, I know that we haven't we we're not sharing the video, but the nice thing is, you've shown me a copy of that book on video, which means that it's made numerous culls with your wife looking at the bookshelf. So numerous. it must be an important book even like, today. Yeah, not get rid of that one. <laughs> <laughs> very good very good so um shall i do my next mine my book what say you ian hey i like that um well i um my i've got i like i said i like 13 books on my my desk i mean things like new rules of marketing pr crossing the chasm permission marketing by seth godin the one-to-one future by peppers and rogers i think you'll probably remember that everybody writes by um and handley Content Inc. by Joe Polizzi. Even like the first book, 
and this is just my setup, right? I haven't even got to my book yet. You might, <laughs> this is interesting. The fir- probably the first book that really inspired me into blogging and stuff like that. And remember, I come from a dev background, was uh, b- b- by Joel Spotsky called Joel on Software. And he basically turned his blog into a book. And, and that was from like 2004. That's what, that's what kind of got me driven on, on a lot of this blogging and buying book thing. But anyway, the three that I'm going to go for, I'm going to start off with the classic that I have that's been referred to on this show a number of times, quite a couple of times by my good friend, Robert Rose, who I'll be in the bar with later. And it's Marty Myopia by Theodore Levitt, uh, which isn't technically a book. It's actually an essay. But as I show Jeff on the camera so that he can see, that is actually a very small book. It's about the size of Miles' little red book. So I think that qualifies as a book. (laughs) Yes. And uh, you're going to see something something in common with the three books I'm recommending. None of them are a big read. But um, the, the the reason why this was important to me as I started my marketing career, so I made the transition from product management, CTO, dev, pre-sales and that kind of thing to becoming to thinking about marketing is I think as a b2b marketer you're incredibly focused on your features your functions and outdoing your competition at that kind of level and I think if you look at something like marketing myopia and it was interesting when I was having that conversation uh the week before last uh around um uh, 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 with um uh, the week before last was that um, some of these ideas, as we were discussing last week, are completely um, the same in in terms of thinking about what industry you're actually in and what the client, actually, the customer actually wants, rather than the features and functions you're in. And of course, Martin Myopia gets quoted all the time. Yeah, talk about absolutely. the death of the U.S. railway system because they didn't realize they were in the transportation business; they thought they were in the railway business. And I think it's just such good lessons uh, in this book that you can just go, go back to all the time that takes you out of that feature function fight, that detailed fight that you think you're in in your category and then redefining your category. So so that's my first nomination. And, and for my experience months. with our local rail systems here, I totally understand, <laughs> understand <laughs> the problem there. Yes. And what, and what, uh, so what's, what's your second book? Book number two for me is, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is a big seller, um, but it's Eating the Big Fish by Adam Morgan. Um, mm-hmm. don't, don't ask me why he talks about eating the big fish, because then he always talks about the gorilla in the market, you know, kind of the same yeah. thing. You know, you're in a yeah. market with, you know, big players. Um, and so when I was at, um, at Progress, and, you know, we're marketing yep. and I was in the part of the business where we're marketing our development platform. And it's in the in the aughts. It was about, you know, Oracle with Java and the Microsoft with dot net. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's too everyone's like, well, we have to do what Microsoft does. We have to do this. And, yeah, and, yeah. and the thing about this book was that it's it's all about being a challenger brand which is slightly different. There's a whole series of books on challenger sales and marketing um, that I also got involved with later on in, in mm-hmm. my career. Um, so this kind of, you know, complimentary, but it's very different. It's about saying if the, you know, if you're up against, you know, these big, these big gorillas in the market, you know, in our case, we don't, mm-hmm. we would, we would sort of look at the Oracle, Microsoft, IBM and say, yeah. what are the qualities that are, that that those organizations have that are not 
that are that are negatives that are po- you know that are yeah. not positives and can you set yourself up as a lighthouse brand that mm-hmm. actually exhibits the positive to their negative so if you take something like mm. oh, they're too big well you know we're nimble and agile if you take something like they're yeah. impersonal you know we have good customer yeah. relations blah 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 you know customer intimacy yeah. so so and you you we we actually we did this where um and actually it was a it was a colleague of mine who recommended the book and then and yeah. then um myself i was the head of marketing communications the head of product marketing the head of product or head of uh, uh partner marketing we all got together in a room and we sort of created this mm-hmm. lighthouse um you know concept of here's what's bad about these guys here's what's good about us and that really mm-hmm. drove our positioning for our products for a long time and it actually got i mean the, it, we, we actually renamed the platform to be the open edge platform which still exists today at progress is still you know a yeah. big money maker for them so it's it it uh you know i don't know to an extent it kind of put it put what was a viewed as kind of an old proprietary technology onto a new footing which uh which is how right. it last and right. but that but just this idea of because this is the other thing you fight about in marketing is the yeah. fact that everybody wants to be like the big guy. It's like, well, what does Adobe yeah. do? What do these guys do? Yeah, and yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, you don't, I mean, you really got to think about who you're trying to appeal weaknesses? to, mm-hmm. what their weaknesses are. And you're, and you're trying to say, you don't want every customer in the market. You want a customer yeah. that actually is yeah. going to, uh, you know, is going to look for what you have to offer. So that's why you yeah. set up that Lighthouse brand. Yeah, no, I like that. And um, so that's eating the big fish. Who was that by? Adam Morgan. And I did Adam read one Morgan. of his subsequent books and mm-hmm. didn't particularly connect to it. So, uh, so this, this one cut. was definitely a, a special one in his nice. from his repertoire. Nice. Okay, so my next op pick. Um, I think we were both thinking about Permission Marketing by Seth Godin. Yes. Uh, but... And I definitely was going to do that. And I can't, I can't express the the importance of Seth Godin's books in my marketing education for sure. I, I mean, if there was a button on Amazon which said every time Seth Godin does something, just send it to my house, I would have pressed it. I basically, I think, I think it's everything. there. You just haven't found it. I, I, I think I have it. I think I have all of his books. And Permission Marketing is fantastic, and it is the original and the oracle. And there are a bunch of them that give you a bunch of his books to give you a real aha moment. And one of those um, I like from Seth Godin was Tribes. And the reason why I like Tribes, and he also talks about um, sneezes and all this kind of, these great concepts around sharing and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of what he was talking about, particularly in permission marketing, came way beyond the social media craze of today and all this stuff. So it's so, so pertinent. I think that's what's important about some of the books that we're going to discuss is they're relevant today. But Tribes is great because what I like about Tribes is it, it that education that it gave me was about finding your people. And I think as marketers, we're kind of educated, um, using the word educated the most loosely, we're kind of driven to appeal to as many people as possible. And appealing to as many people as possible means that you're just going to create something gray and boring right. and samey and yep. You're going to appeal to nobody, right? And what I like about tribes and set you on on that kind of stuff, and a bunch of people have written about the same sort of concept, is if you appeal, really appeal to like your thousand true fans or whatever concept you want to do, you're gonna you're gonna differentiate, you're gonna resonate with a bunch of people, and then you're gonna bring people along with you on that. 
the contrary to that is obviously you're going to get you have to get used to the fact that some people won't like you right yeah. so i said that a bit too loudly but people won't like you you know <laughs> so you won't um, and and so and i think we we struggle with that um when we're taking products to market is that is when somebody gives you negative feedback because you're not like them but that's important because you need to find the people that are really like you and that's what i like about trumps yeah. sounds like that's a compliment my... to eating the big fish yeah exactly yeah. yeah exactly and i think i think many of i mean hopefully like because we're now educated marketers that there's a theme here of uh, of some of the origin stories that we tell each other and i think that's what we were talking about last week about education is that so many people come up with these ideas and you're thinking hang on that's not particularly new that's, that's not done new yeah. that was one of like the first i think first shows i did where we, where we were talking about uh one hit wonders and i put account-based yeah, marketing one, on there because i yeah. said well isn't, isn't it all yeah. b2b marketing account based anyway yeah, exactly and also i've got um because i was floundering just a minute ago a couple of weeks ago i spoke to stan bernard in his book brands don't win which is the one that kind of made me think about marketing myopia as well which apparently is getting all sorts of accolades and um i don't know it is uh, uh like number one bestseller so uh, i've interviewed a number one bestseller uh, uh, uh book on here oh my anyway, gosh. what's your um third are we on your third book? Yes. We are on my third, third book, book which is yes. The Ultimate Question 2.0 by Fred Reichheld. Wow. So Fred Reichheld is and this I mean this goes a little bit beyond just marketing. He is the or one of the creators behind the net promoter score. This may not make him very popular mm-hmm. among some of our audience cuz a lot of people yeah. either um you know, I have have poo pooed the net promoter score, or Poo-poo. or just just got tired with uh, yeah. receiving surveys which said, How, "Would you recommend this <laughs> this yeah. vendor? Yeah. Give yeah. me a score from zero to ten. Um, yeah. So, but one of the things, so I was at uh, Pegasystems at the time, and actually we had Fred Reichel. We were we were actually um, implementing the ability to do the NPS rating or uh, just the survey emails and the scoring and all that mm. within, within the platform. Cause we did, we serviced a lot mm. of companies that did had customer service applications. And so he came and spoke at our user conference and, mm. um, and the thing I like, so, you know, if people don't know about the net promoter score, it's trying to solve the, the branding challenge of preference. So, you know, there's brand mm-hmm. awareness, there's brand uh, perception, and then there's preference. And so mm-hmm. if you're trying to understand whether an existing customer, potential customer, you know, prefers you over others, then, you know, have them rank in terms of how they would, whether they would recommend you. And, yeah. and so, um, and it's, it's a, it's, to me, it's a simple measure of a fairly complex thing and one of the things that was pretty interesting about this 2.0 version of the ultimate question was you talked about how to operationalize, you know, when somebody mm. gives you a good rating or a bad rating or whatever, what do you, what, what do you do with that information? Because you actually, if it's, if it's like after a service call and you get a bad review, then your, your service organization can, can reach out and try to, mm. uh, well, for one, they can understand what the problem was and then reach out. Uh, and, yeah. and see how to how to best correct it. Um, so it's and one of the things that's a challenge with with all kind of brand measurement is how can we be precise and what are we going to do about the information? And so to me, this was a way of making a brand measurement for one more precise, 
but also giving it giving you something that's actionable in the you know in yeah. the short term as opposed to waiting to the end of the year when you do the big brand survey and people tell you you suck <laughs> and it's like yeah. it's too late yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah yeah no i and i think um well, the other thing is, is like it or loathe it, I mean, just the very idea of measuring brand perception in the early days, right? It, it gives you something to resist against or do, but at least you're doing it, right? Or iterating against it and, and thinking about that idea. So that's cool. So that was the ultimate question, 2.0 by Fred Reich. Reicheld, R-E-I-C-H-E-L-D. It's cool. Excellent. Well, okay. So my third book, which was tricky, and I know that we prepped for this, and we actually, I did actually share with you a list of three books, and I haven't stuck to it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, I was going to say Play Bigger, which is by a whole bunch of authors. Um, I think there's about four authors. Play Bigger. It's a brilliant book, and it's about, um, it's particularly for B two B about defining your category and all that kind of stuff. And I read it, and I was inspired by it. But then I was thinking about the fact that what actually our remit for this was the brief, as it were, for this particular podcast episode was those seminal things that got us thinking early in our careers, right? And um, and so I was thinking about um, you know crossing the chasm was big mm. when I was in sales, when I was in pre sales and stuff, but that got overplayed. But I'm going to go for another, um, uh, and then I know that Robert Robert Rose, who we'll, we'll meet in the bar later, and I'm not just saying it because he's on the show, and he knows my views about this, is his book, Managing Content Marketing, The Real World Guide for Creating Passionate Subscribers to Your Brand by, by him and Joe Polizzi, came at a time, and he says this book is woefully out of date, and I shouldn't refer to it anymore, and he needs to do an updated version. It came at a time when I actually, uh, 10 years ago, when I made the actual you know, move from uh, from product marketing to content marketing to ultimately into marketing sales. Uh, sorry, CMO. And um, <laughs> and I really like this book because I and it's it's similar to your stories, isn't it? A book comes in to your life at a particular time when you're making that transition, and and th- and this for me was just excellent because it talks about um, telling stories. You know, mm. and and how people respond to telling stories it, t- it has in here the f- the framework for telling stories the hero story and all that kind of stuff and also some basics for actually getting started with content marketing and and, and the sorts of things you need to do and it's a great sort of and it's by a practitioner of the craft right isn't you know and uh, we it, it was when we were both at SDL and, and I, Robert came in and, and did some um did some work with me and my team and um, and it, it's just it was just you know it's just the thing and and so my third book is managing content marketing by Robert Rose so there's my three so well tell him when, us, when, what, when you, what were your three Jeff? when you get him in Sorry, the bar yeah. um, yes. uh, make sure he updates it <laughs> yeah no we discussed no uh, in on the on the Christmas episode while you were away uh, I actually asked him directly about that and he's like yeah yeah <laughs> but. But yes, so what were your three? That's a reminder of those. Okay, in reverse order, The Ultimate Question 2.0 by mm-hmm. Fred Reichheld, Eating the Big Fish yeah. by Adam Morgan, and Ogilvy on Advertising by none other than David Ogilvy. Sure. Kind of, it's in the title, and, so it's, anyway. <laughs> and mine, Marketing Myopia by Theodore Levitt, Tribes by Seth Godin, and Managing Content Marketing by Robert Rose and Joe Polizzi. So we didn't just talk about, we're not going to stop talking about books, right? Uh, we're, we're going to carry on talking about marketing education. And because we've got so many and it was hard to choose, uh, we're going to carry on talking about books. But on the interwebs, on them socials where people come and talk to us, Irene 
uh, Nihon Khan, our uh, popular regular commentator, guest, <laughs> friend, uh, has, has made a comment on, on, on LinkedIn. And she was talking about one of the points we made last week about the three Ps, the five Ps, the six Ps, however many Ps there were. And she referred to the seven Ps by Philip Kotler. So shall we discuss that next week? I think we should, we, should, we should dig into that. And um, certainly I think we should encourage all of our fans, whether you're a super fan like Irene or just a regular fan, that uh, <laughs> if you've got a book that, that uh, was seminal in your development as a marketer, it's like, you know, send it in. And because I think as we go and dig into other topics, yeah. we may, you know, we may, you know, talk about brand and let's, you know, let's bring back talking about, uh, you know, I don't know, what would be an yeah. advertising or, you know, the, yeah. you know, any one of the other ones that we may stumble upon that say, you know, these are just classics. Um, because as, mm. as you said, you know, so many ideas in marketing are not all that new. They're, you know, they're things that have yeah, been exactly. written about before. We just need to build that foundation and that discipline to remember them. Yes. And, um, and also, um, people can suggest topics we might want to talk about too. So let's marry those two together as we continue our discovery of marketing education over the next few weeks. And there's only one more point on the agenda and that's the song, which do I, do I confess that I actually? Yes. Why don't you confess? You picked it. <laughs> I always, I, you know, I always give this very responsible job to you. And it's actually, it's not a very new song. It's, a, it, it's three years younger than the song we picked last week. Uh, and it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Every day I write the book from 1983. So we'll play out yeah. with that. Maybe he wrote about marketing um, in the past too. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll do some, we'll do some better research and find better songs as this, as this series continues. <laughs> All right, mate. So we'll continue with marketing education next week. Have a great week, mate. I'll speak to you then. Sounds great. Thank you, Jeff. And that was Every Day I Write the Book by Elvis Costello from 1983. Next week, we'll be chatting about the P's of marketing following a suggestion from our listener, Irene Nearhorn Kane on LinkedIn. And if you have a suggestion for a book or a topic, let us know. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, or drop us an email at hello at rockstarcmo.com. Right, on to my guests. I had absolutely no chance of keeping this episode to time as I have two great, knowledgeable and entertaining guests, a fascinating topic and a marketing book to talk about. Ted Rubin and John Andrews have been wonderful supporters of Rockstar CMO since we started this as a web publication back in 2018. But if you don't know them, John Andrews is a career shopper, marketer, entrepreneur and intrapreneur. He has over 20 years of experience in consumer packaged goods companies, including Haynes Brands, Neural Rubbermaid, Picture Vision Kodak Digital and Implus. He moved to the retail site in 2007, joining Walmart and building one of the first people as media platforms called Walmart 11 Moms. He is the founder of Collective Bias that was acquired by Inmar in 2016, co-founder of Carousel and most recently served as CEO of Photify and is now working on retail marketing 
projects and teaching. Ted Rubin is a leading social marketing strategist, international keynote speaker, author, connector, provocateur. In March 2009, he started using and evangelizing the term return on relationship. Ted has had a fantastic marketing career with Elf Cosmetics, Open Sky, and also was at Collective Bias as Chief Social Marketing Officer. He published his first book, Return on Relationship, in January 2013. And since then, he's published How to Look People in the Eye Digitally and the Age of Influence. Many people in the social media world, including me, know Ted for his enthusiastic, energetic and undeniably personal connection to people and his no let up hashtag and approach to life. As you'll hear, John and Ted have come together to publish Retail Relevancy, how brands and retailers will connect with shoppers in a post-physical retail world. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FN, Ted and John. I've got two guests, both friends of the show, or friends of Rockstar CMO from since we began. Really appreciate you guys coming on. Hello, Ted. Hello, John. How are you doing? Hello. We, are, we are friends of Ian Truscott. I have to say <laughs> that I have had the pleasure of hugging Ian Truscott, so yeah. multiple yeah. times. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to get across the pond and make sure I get, I get a hug. And, and, and doing an, participating in Oktoberfest with Ian yeah. Truscott. So oh, yeah. that sounds in, good. Yeah, if you participate in Oktoberfest, there's a lot of hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Before, I mean, I've already kind of introduced you guys before we kick this off, but Ted, uh, for people that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, that's kind of easy. I've been around for way too many years to go through my entire background, but uh, I, I jumped into the digital world uh, with a company that Seth Godin started back in 1997, mm-hmm. um, progressed into a company called Elf Cosmetics, which was kind of at the forefront of using social to build a, um, a consumer brand. I uh, was fortunate enough to meet John during that period and we connected and started doing what he was doing at Walmart and what I was doing at uh, Elf Cosmetics. We Kind of morphed together, and ever since we've been creating content together and helping retailers to sell more product and to understand the path to purchase. Yeah, I love it. Thanks, Ted. And I love it when you tell your story. I mean, I've seen you on stage telling your story. It's it's excellent. And and John, for folks that haven't uh, have come across you on Rockstar CMO before, what's what's your story? Sure. Yeah, I I took a little non traditional path. I kind of wasn't ready for uh, higher education after my lower education. So I became a manager of a Domino's pizza and I learned how I I did. And I I moved to Maine, which was kind of like moving to Mars from a a guy from a small town in North Carolina. And I learned how to run a business, right? I learned how to hire people, fire people. I didn't do a lot of firing people, but I, you know, managed an inventory. And and what I really got fascinated with was marketing. So by the time I was uh, ready to go back to school, I went back and, and uh, decide I want to be a brand manager. So I was yeah. been a brand uh, person my my entire career. I still love brand, and I, I actually think uh, one of the questions you have is is brand is the answer, right? Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about that. But uh, I was a brand for big brands like Hanes Brands. Uh, I was a brand for some startups, like a company called Picture Vision that got purchased by Kodak. Um, and then, uh, I, I got the opportunity to go to work for Walmart. And, uh, while I was at Walmart, got asked to lead an emerging media team said, awesome. What's that? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's great. And it was defined for me. This was 2008, everything beyond the banner ad. Mm-hmm. And about that time I met Ted, uh, Ted was uh, CMO of elf and we were both, uh, experimenting with mm-hmm. uh, people as media with influencers. 
Yeah. And, uh, and we learned, we learned same thing we're doing today. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I was, I was working with my daughter and, and her boyfriend last night. He asked me a question. He says, Hey, can you teach me about NFTs? I'm like, I sure can. Uh, and, and, and the only reason I could do that, and it was a moment to be cool with teenagers, which you know how cool, how, how yes. rare those are. I, 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 just cause I did it. You know, I bought some NFTs and I made some and, and yeah. I'm not an expert, but that's how you do stuff. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's it. Absolutely. And both of you got this great credibility in retail. I know you've talked about retail on Rockstar CMO. When we had the web publication, I think we've been connected for what, four or five years, something like that. So so really appreciate your insight here. And, and, and I'm really pleased to talk about the fact you published your book, Retail Relevancy, How Brands and Retailers Will Connect in a Post-Physical World, which is a fabulous title. And I know you guys have been working on it for a while. What, what is it that finally got this thing across the line? How would you get it published? COVID. COVID. you know i i gotta tell you i i've written three other books and and truth be told i think this is probably the best one because john wrote most of it Mm -hmm. um and uh you know when you do it yourself you work at your own schedule you work with your editor you you do it your way and you know as as i've experienced along a lot with john and why we're great business partners and and friends is that neither one of us says it has to be this way. So although I tried to impress upon John, like this is probably the easiest way to do the book, you know, John had his own way of going about it. And, um, you know, trying to work together and get all the parts we needed. And then our editor would send a list of what she needed. And I'd raise my hand for some and John would raise his hand for other. And then we both think the other one did something. And, you know, finally COVID hit and there was a little more time. And I, you know, John and I got on the phone. We said, we're like, you know, if we don't finish this now, um, <laughs> we're not going to finish it. Plus, so many of the things we had, we were already talking about in the stuff we'd written for the book was starting yeah. to accelerate so rapidly right that, yeah. that not only did we have to fix some of what we already wrote, but it was really cool because instead of just writing predictions, what we were writing about was already happening. Yeah, so yeah. It, it really made the book, and re- wait for it, much more relevant. <laughs> Ooh. I, like what you did I see what you did there yeah. so, in uh, fact, before i hit record um when i was doing research and i remember us talking um, we were chatting and um i remember you talking about retail relevancy ted in some of the stuff we've been talking about and i look back and you'd been talking about this in 2018 I mean, this this stuff's been been brewing for a while, right? So. Uh, I remember John and my conference call with our editor in 2017. I can remember exactly. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the place, but I remember like where we were. There was an upstairs and a downstairs, yeah. and John was on what in one place, and I was in another, and we were talking yeah. to her about it, and we made all our plans. So yeah, it's been in the works for a long time, and yeah. uh, I think it made it a better book. Truth be told, like you know, sometimes yeah. things get delayed, and you either miss your window or you know, it becomes irrelevant. And I just think this really helped us. And COVID, right. like a lot of us, got a view into how things probably should have been before COVID mm-hmm. with a lot yeah. of things. You know, not uh, yeah. obviously there's been things that have been very stressful and difficult for people. But as far as the ability to work remote, the ability mm-hmm. to, for e-commerce to accelerate, for delivery. Yeah. And, uh, and John has really remarkable thinking about all of this stuff. So I'm going to hand yeah. off. Yeah. Well, no, what, was your, what was your experience, John? What what kind of made it happen for you? You you know what 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 COVID what happened in COVID is um, I think 2017, 2018, 2019, retailers sort of went into this mode of yeah yeah we know this is happening but we're we're just we're we're gonna 
we're going to ease into it. We've got other priorities. We're going to yeah. do stuff. And then, you know, we've told this story a couple of times. Um, I never will forget reading an article that in wall, in March uh, of, of 2020, I'm trying to remember when COVID happened because my dates yeah, are yeah, like, was. you know, we're in this, uh, like, what day is it, right? The years uh, just fly by, not just the days, is it? It's like 2022. Yeah. Who believes it? Yeah. Exactly. My, and, and, my, uh, my, my, March, my last real business trip was probably two years ago. Right yeah. before COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in March of, of 22, Walmart went from about 9% of its customers who had used OLO, uh, you mm-hmm. know, online ordering or pickup, yep. to 30%. One yeah. month, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, and, and I can remember when I was at Walmart, uh, my boss and, and a, a colleague of his had actually presented, and this was 08, right? They had presented the way to transform Walmart was through these awesome pickup lanes and, and making, yeah. you know, fix it. And I can remember people in that meeting and it being like, yeah, 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 you know, but what I think happened was they, they started to embrace that. And luckily for them, when COVID hit, they were ready to go. Right. 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 And and all of a sudden, and by the way, so were its customers, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, I, uh, my wife and I um, went to Target the other day. And, and when I say we went to Target, we went to Target's parking lot and we pulled into <laughs> one of the numbered spaces and yeah. she pops the thing and the gate goes up and the, the person puts our stuff in the back and away we go, you know, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, you know, and I'm like, why would, why would I ever, why do I want to go in that store? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you, you know, I, I, I like to retail, I like retail and I like being in retail, but yeah. I don't need to go wander around a target. I, I know what's in there. I got, yeah. I got, yeah. You know. yeah. Um, what, so what, what do you think is going to be the future of uh, the high street and the retail? I mean, that's the big topic, right? About retail relevancy is it's not just the relevancy of getting shit from their warehouse into our house. Right. But it's also that leisure pursuit, which is retail. How's would you think that's still going to exist in in this what you've described as post physical world? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like because I mean, we we like to go and see and touch. Ted tells a story where my my North Face. Uh, uh, we have a North Face store here, and it's got a little bit of product, but it's really experiential. You can go and you can see all their cool tents and all their stuff and whatever and anything that they have. Like this product is a Summit series. This is like a high alpine product. Yeah. They don't sell this in Raleigh. You know, I mean, this yeah. is, who would buy it? You don't, you don't yeah. need it. I used it to climb Mount Rainier a couple months ago mm-hmm. and I needed it, it you know, yeah. and actually it's the warmest thing I got. And, and I, I, you know, you think about that, that of course is going to be there, but yeah. the idea of walking around to, to get, you know, toothpaste and, and stuff and things that I know, I don't, I don't need to browse the toothpaste section. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been using Colgate Optic White for twenty fifteen since it came out. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and yeah. you know what? I want I don't want to think about toothpaste. I'm sorry, Colgate, because it, it's yeah. a great toothpaste and I love this product. But yeah. you know how often I brush my teeth or or Alexa does. Just yeah. just should that stuff should just show up, you know, yeah, and I yeah. open my drawer and there's toothpaste. It's like dog yeah. food. I don't want to think about dog food. You know, yeah, I, and so yes, uh, you you probably are more familiar with this than I think a lot of people in the states. But I, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the big dirt mound they built at the Marble Arch. Yeah, 
Yeah. 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 So, so I think people are thinking like, Oh, we got to, you know, do all this funny. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't need a dirt mound. To, I'm like, you know, <laughs> by the way, I points kudos for, for, uh, for, for creativity. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't build dirt mound to, to entice people to come shopping on, on high street. It, we, of course, we're going to shop. It's just going to transform into yeah. much more experiential uh, much more dwell, you know, I, I like to go to my, my men's clothing store here. When I go there, they hand me a glass of wine or something. I walk around, yeah. I talk, I look at stuff. I don't ever buy anything. I just go there for free wine. But, you know, <laughs> but, but I think about it, you know, it's, it's relevant. So I don't know. What do you think, Ted? Yeah. You know, I, I think, and, you know, we talk about the whole simplicity thing and convenience. I, I think, you know, convenience is becoming an important thing. I think people will shop for, like John likes to say, that most supermarkets get the 90% of their business is because they're the closest supermarket to where somebody lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's always been a certain amount of convenience, except I think the convenience is going to continue to accelerate where, yeah. you know, the Amazon stores where you walk out without having to check out because it's been checked out for you as you go, where you can buy online and return in store or buy in store and have UPS or somebody pick it up at your door. Yeah. So um, I, it's I think a lot of this is going to be like John was just mentioning not only the experimental but the whole evolution of the destination and the parking lots because not only are we combining how easy it is to have retail delivered or buy online but cars are going to start disappearing i mean people are going to be it's it's either going to be like your ubers and the lifts of the world or it's going to be self-driving cars it's certainly not going to be all tomorrow but even today and again, COVID accelerated this. Drive by those parking lots. They're not full. No. Um, and that space is going to start to be reimagined. What yeah. can we do? What can we do with that space? Whether it's um, the, the regrowth. I think what, one of the things we're going to see is a regrowth of small um, businesses. Yeah. I think that the, uh, all the people that wanted to have retail stores that really can deliver on that personal experience that no major chain can deliver on. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You walk into a Lowe's, you walk into a, I mean, Whole Foods is probably one of the best at it. Yeah. But Lowe's, like, not only, uh, not only can you not, um, get that experience from them, but they don't have the knowledge. Whereas a small retailer who mm-hmm. before could not afford the retail space, because we know all know how expensive all this space got. But if they're, yeah. if a lot of, if the JC Penney's and the Macy's and the Sears and the Kmart's and all these other large retailers in the world disappear, there's going to yeah. be this massive amount of space available. And then same thing with the parking lot. So I think you're yeah. going to see a lot more smaller retailers, a lot more of these pop-up, locations whether it's like flea markets or it's you know sunday farmers markets yeah. in your neighborhood and i think a, a lot of that face-to-face shopping is going to is going to move to there yeah and do you think um one of the things is that people aren't traveling to cities not just not traveling to those big out of town um boxes um big box stores but they're not traveling to cities anymore do you think this is going to revitalize like our local high streets i mean i know that that's more of a concept probably for the uk than it is in in some parts of the US but do you think that's going to revitalize what you're saying about having small specialist stores that are local to us because we're not going to be traveling quite so much um okay so you're talking about the issue of travel because of pandemic or yeah well just generally like we don't have to go into I mean like say I know you guys I mean you're in Florida Ted John you're you're in um in 
in Car- in one of the Carolinas. North Carolina. Yeah, North yeah, North Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Well, um, they're, they're all the same. They're yeah, all the same. Yeah, whereas, you know, God. like people have been, you know, people, uh, so, so like when I was when I was living over there, you know, my office was in New York. I was living in Connecticut. I traveled down every day on the train. And there was a yeah. bunch of stuff, a bunch of retail I'd interact with in New York because I traveled down sure. on the train. But nowadays, people aren't doing oh, that quite so much. You're so talking you... about you're talking about like commuting type travel, like yeah, your daily yeah, but, travel. I'm yeah. sorry, I, I thought you were talking about like you know um, yeah. uh, travel to de- destination travel. I just, um, yes, I, I think a lot yeah. of that is is going to change too. I mean, I don't think. New York City is ever going to have the same foot traffic it had mm-hmm. at one time. Um, although, I, from what I know of New York City um, before COVID, and probably London is similar, mm-hmm. is a lot of that retail space became so expensive, it, it moved to the high-end retailers. Right. Who I think those people still want to go into a store. Yeah. Yeah. If you're buying yeah. a, a $20,000 watch, a $30,000 coat, a suit. I think there's a little bit more of that desire until we get a lot better at pickup delivery, sending someone to your home to, to fashion something like that for you. Um, I, I, I still believe those places will exist. Yeah. As to John's point, isn't it about getting the glass of wine, getting the high level of service, being shown stuff, you know, it's an experience. Experience. Well, we 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 went there, you know, in, in my lifetime, and, and this is a very U.S. experience, and and mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how this this reflects it, but but you know, we hollowed out all the small towns here, yeah. going to the malls and doing yeah. doing these, you, you know, the WalMarts and all of those things. Yeah, every small town within a fifty mile radius of Raleigh now is a destination. Right. Right. To to, to your point. And they're, yeah. and they're cute, and I want to go there because they've got yeah. a little restaurant and they've got a pub, but then they have some interesting shopping. You know, they've got yeah. a, an old hardware store that's now turned into hardware and vinyl records. Yeah. I don't know, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's cool, but they're, and it's literally the revitalization. Well, and, you know, our real estate has gotten so out of whack here yeah. that people want to go buy houses there. You know, my, mm. my, my wife and I were just talking about, you, you know, one of, one of, you know, we're not far from, from kind of starting to, to think about, you know, retirement's not the right word, but you know, our daughter's yeah, going to yeah. go to school and then, and then I'm probably not going to let, you know, Raleigh is going, you know, on this trajectory of growth right now. You know, we have Apple's AI headquarters moving here and some other wow. things and it's, it's insane. Yeah. And and it's going to be great for us because our our house has doubled or maybe even tripled by the time we left in price, yeah. and we can we can um, what's called geo arbitrage, right? Yeah. So we're we're going to spend some time this summer in Vermont looking at small towns. I'll sell my house, take half of the proceeds, and buy another house and bank the other as as my yeah. uh, as my retirement. You know, and yeah. and I'm like, this is this is. Um, this this is just a factor I think that is leading to some of these transformational things. Plus, mm-hmm. I can live at your point. I can live in a small town now, yeah. and if I want Louis Vuitton, I can get Louis Vuitton. Yeah. If, if I want, uh, if I Ted, I still want. If I'm going to spend two two thousand bucks on a jacket, I know somebody's listening. To that I'm going. You can't buy much Louis Vuitton jacket for two thousand bucks. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, but, but, but I can get my entire, uh, whatever set 
from Amazon or Walmart or whoever. Yeah. And yeah. I don't even have to think about it, you know? Yeah. But you can but also, what, yeah, you can also get your, uh, you know, your Raleigh, um, what is it, it, it the, the barbecue, it's vinegar-based barbecue? Yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, I can get barbecue shipped. You can get whatever you like, right? And and you can be all the way up there in Vermont and, and eating the, the fine barbecue from down there well, and, and reliving well, that. You, you, you actually just spur a great thought. Um, think about that, right? So So one of the things that COVID did is people got – really good at other forms of retail because they had yeah. to or they're going to go out of business, yeah. right? We have a, a sushi restaurant that, that's our little our local sushi restaurant. It's about a mile and a half from our house. And and they wouldn't let anybody in there, but they, you know, you pulled up and they brought your stuff and handed it to you. Yeah. Now, there is no place to park there because every time we go there to eat, everybody, they, they have half of the parking spots are pull-up because right, everybody's right. like, you know, I like Susie in my pajamas. I would literally drive there in my pajamas and and not, you know, because I knew I didn't have to get out of the car or do anything. And I'd be like, peace out, suckers. <laughs> you know, I'm so good. Well, absolutely. I mean, food delivery just accelerated as far as sure. fine food delivery. You know, that, right. that people are now knowing that, first of all, it's easy, it's quick, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, you can rely on it. I recently ordered something through one of the local delivery services, and mm-hmm. literally within 15 minutes, I got something back from them saying, listen, we're, we're having trouble getting through to the restaurant. Um, yeah. We don't want to hold you up. So either you know, we can cancel that order and reorder for you, or you can wait, but meaning that that didn't exist uh, yeah. a couple of years yeah. ago. You'd call up, yeah. you'd wait, you'd wait, you'd wait. It wouldn't yeah. come. You'd call, you'd say, where is it? Oh, it's yeah. in it's in process. Now, yeah. so many of these have refined their services to make it something that we are so much more likely well, to do because we enjoy it. Well, also, but that's they a major fix their back office, right? Because they've had to fix their back office. Right, of course. Right. And that's a major theme of the book is, you know, the future of shopping is about removing friction. Right. Right. If if I want, if I want sushi... I, I, you know, I might have not ordered sushi before because to go sushi, I'm just, is it going to be okay? Is it, no, man, they package it. They've got the little, um, the little absorbent pad so it doesn't yeah. get soggy and stuff. You know, they've thought about all of the, the, the yeah. logistics that have to go around. How do I deliver my restaurant quality at, at my shopper's home? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And um, I've just, yeah, I mean, we're, we're gobbling through the time. I knew we would with you too. So this is, this is excellent. <laughs> Sorry. Um, in, in the, we're talking about the future. Um, you talk in the book, you talk about Siri and Alexa and, the, and voice being a major part of it, which I don't mm-hmm. think we've covered. I mean, we've covered like direct to consumer. I think we, we know that for, for consumables like your toothpaste, John, that's, that's where that's going to go. But what, yeah. do you, what, what role do you think voice is going to start to play in terms of changing the way that retail works, the consumer relationship? Ted, did you want me to talk about that? Yeah, I'd like to talk about that. John, you (laughs) you always have – no, and I mean that honestly. John always has a little deeper insight into this than I do. Well, there's a a wonderful uh, woman that Ted and I both know uh, named Emily Bender, and Mm -hmm. and I highly recommend people follow her. I've had her on the show. Yeah, so she she is one of the thought leaders in in Mm -hmm. voice marketing, and she has a little – uh, a, a little Alexa thing every day yeah. called uh, Wealth Voice, yep. and, and it, it talks about you know. So so I think um, 
What's going to happen, I really believe, is AI is getting pretty smart, right? Mm -hmm. And Siri and Alexa and her friends, their friends, uh, are are listening to us pretty much constantly, unless you tell them not to, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody says, oh, man, we were just talking about this, and I saw an ad. I'm like, yeah, you did, (laughs) because, you know, but again, think about the friction removal of that. It's a little creepy, except that if you make it really easy, my, my, uh, my buddy here just bought a new home. And we were talking about a solo stove, you know, one of those little yeah. cool kind of things you can throw wood in, you can have it on a back porch. Yeah. And literally, we both started getting Instagram ads like that, right? Wow. And, and I was like, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, yeah. people aren't there yet, I think. But, mm-hmm. but I think the ability for, for on the fly to be able to communicate with our devices and, you know, uh, Tesla and, and Apple and I think most of the car manufacturers are realizing too that cars are big interactive mm. platforms, you know, especially yep. when you don't have to drive them anymore. We're all going to be yep. bored in there. Yep. Um, you, you know, and, and so let me, let me begin to shift some of the shopper activities to those platforms, mm. right? Either, either through guidance, through, through whatever, but you know, we're talking to our things now, yeah. you know, you may have those friends that uh, dictate all of their, their text and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, my uh, my my next door neighbor dictates you know it dictates like like paragraphs you know right uh, dear Brenda comma stop uh, new, wow. new paragraph you know I mean and yeah, it, yeah. it's like and he does it while you're riding in the car and I'm like dude what are you like what are you doing but <laughs> it, it, it is actually easier than typing it's just one of those yeah. things you gotta start one doing. of my daughters does it all the time i mean if she's gonna google something she's asking siri she's talking well, to her you device know you know? It, it goes to the whole friction free thing yeah you know john and i have a line i just emailed it to you along with the pdf it's simplicity is the new edlp everyday yeah. pricing you know yeah. make it easy for them and they'll buy from you again and again and again frictionless yeah. retail is a retail yeah. of the future but i think frictionless everything and i love that you brought up cars because you know i was just driving today and the technology isn't quite there yet but it's really mm-hmm. getting there because yeah. right now a lot of what i have to do in the car i still have to use a touch screen you know, mm-hmm. and I'm driving and that takes my attention away from what I want right. to be doing. And I can I can use Siri to make some calls and she doesn't always quite understand me. And, and <laughs> you know, uh, um, she's telling me to send me to Yellowstone Park when I'm just trying to call, you know, Joe <laughs> Yellow or something. And um, but as that gets better, it's going to give yeah. us more, more time and the ability to get more done in what we consider our downtime. You know, just mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm John got me into audio books during the pandemic and now. Yeah. Like whenever I'm outside doing sports, doing anything, I'm listening yeah. to an audio book yeah. And, yeah. and learning that your brain, you know, you I've heard about this a lot, but I'm experiencing it even more now because I'm, I'm listening to so many books that your brain absorbs stuff even when you're not totally paying attention. Yeah. So, right. you know, obviously there's certain things where you really have to pay attention because you really got to learn it, but there's other things yeah. where you just want to take it in. And I think that when it comes to retail, it's going to just give us the ability to get other things done. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, just like the Amazon app has made it easy for us when I'm with, with you or John, yeah. you say, Hey man, you know, you should get this uh, new holder for your phone. It's great. Yeah. You go right there, you click yeah. on it, you buy it. Imagine when I can just say it as I'm walking, yeah. you know, and it really effectively gets it done for 
for you. And I think yeah. a lot of right. it's going to combine with John and I have been working with a company called Lucid Lucid, mm-hmm. uh, which which yeah, is a so. you, you would ask me about it before when yeah. we were waiting for John on the call. Yeah. And it's a Bluetooth sunglass company or Bluetooth mm-hmm. glasses company. But yeah. you know, as they're progressing, they're adding more and more tech to these phones, mm-hmm. just like we know is going to exist. And yeah. the point is going to come where we're going to not only be able to tell our phone to order. Or something for us, but it's going to be able to flash by us, you know, with some of the different options that we might want, yeah. whether it's in a subscreen or it's right like the Google Glass were at one time, yeah. you know, which was an early technology. But as all of this combines, it's just going to make everything more fluid. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Anyway, uh, I, the book is uh, Retail Relevancy, How Brands and Retailers Will Connect in a Post-Physical World, which is, as I said, fa- fa- fabulous title. And I encourage everybody to have a look at it, especially, and I think we're all interested in retail, right? And I think we, we as marketers can learn from, from what's really happened there. But I've got a final question for both of you. As you know, and I know as friends of, of, of Rockstar CMO, we have, you know we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our pool to health for where we throw all the BS snake oil and overhyped trends of this craft we love. What specifically about retail needs to be flung in the pool, needs to be gotten rid of? Well, I'm going to talk about something that I think is overhyped, but it, it, I don't think the, the – I don't think, I don't think it – I don't think it's overhyped in terms of it's not going to happen – I yeah. just think it's not going to happen today, but pe- right. but it, Ted just talked about part of it is going to be. So there was an article this week. You probably all saw Walmart's filing a bunch of patents to get mm-hmm. into the metaverse and enter its yeah. own crypto. And yeah. and I think the metaverse metaverse is uh, it, it's one hundred percent coming in. But in fact, a lot yeah. of parts of it are already here, and you use them yeah. and you don't really think about it. Yeah. Um, but but. I, I think it's early, but I, I'm kind of actually happy about that because usually, you, you know, the knock on retail is they're the last people to do anything. Mm-hmm. So that Walmart's even thinking about this is, is a positive thing. And yeah. I think it knows that many of its customers are already spending a lot of time in the metaverse. Yeah, but but I think they, the the you know I think when people talk about the metaverse, they're like, oh, we're going to be in these virtual blah blah blah. I think it's going to be closer to what Ted just described. And I think that's mm-hmm. why Lucid is on a neat path mm-hmm. is you're going to have it a devices and there's already contact mm-hmm. lenses that are, that are in mm-hmm. experimentation that do this. that just augment your reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and maybe you even have some of your, your metaverse friends with you, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when, you, yeah. when you're out shopping and doing stuff. So when I'm out yeah. at a, visiting you at a pub uh, and, yeah. and Ted's back home in Florida, you know, he's actually there with us or, or whatever. Yeah. Those things are coming and, yeah. and, and those are coming very quickly. And again, as a, as a, uh, as somebody who's interested in that thing, I spend time learning about it. So I'm on a platform yeah. called um, Upland. Mm-hmm. And Upland yeah. is, you know, Upland, it's the real world yeah. in real estate. And I just built my first apartment building in Upland, right? Nice. I'm, I'm collecting yeah. rents or money on it or whatever. Yeah. and it's not there yet, but wow, you can really begin yeah. to see what happens when I, you know, uh, I, I like this little street in New Orleans called Frenchman Street. Yeah. And I have bought properties on Frenchman Street. And I was in New Orleans uh, several weeks ago. And I spent some time, of course, my yard guys are here now. I spent some time um, uh, going to look at the properties that I own 
in yeah. uh, in Upland, the, the the real ones. Imagine when you connect that, and it's a restaurant mm. or a retailer or something yeah. like that's happening. Like make yeah. like like so so go learn it, go get into it, yeah, but but yeah. don't just do hype stuff just to do it. You know, Ted yeah. Ted uh, Ted Ted laughs that uh, every influencer now has their own crypto token. And, I'm uh, glad you and, just brought that up, John, because that's what I, <laughs> I, I, I what I yeah. think is ridiculously overhyped is yeah. having your own currency. Yeah. In other words, by the way, I, I don't get me wrong. I mean, this whole crypto thing is happening and there are going to be new currencies and things are going to yeah. change and it's going to change the whole unbanked uh, world. But yeah. everyone's not going to have their own currencies and nobody's going to want those currencies yeah. other than the hype factor. And like every yeah. influencer is issuing a coin. Now, part of it, I get it. It's yeah. fun to experiment like John does. And yeah. but too many of them are now talking about it so seriously that yeah. their coins are going to become currencies of exchange. Yeah. And and I I don't I think that's way overhyped. I think yeah. there will definitely be a bunch that are, and I think a lot of this is coming. But you, you you're not going to get rich off your own personal currency. Yeah, yeah, or, no, that's or, really... start, or start trading in it actively. Uh, I think I think I mean that's clear. I mean metaverse and 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 crypto. You've hit both the the hot keywords right now, right? I, I will give you one good example of where that is working. Yeah. And yeah. and I think you know Gary V thinks about things mm -hmm. and he thinks about how to connect them, and um, yeah. and, and I'm not a Gary V fanboy, but I don't dislike Gary V. But I, you know, I, I he mm -hmm. connects things for people in in relevant ways, and he he is working on a NFT restaurant in New York, and wow. it it is very aligned with with what is going on with. You know the badge value of NFTs matters in mm -hmm. that community, right? So if you own a board ape NFT, yeah. you're you're pretty cool. People have it as their yeah. avatar. This yeah. restaurant, it's a sushi restaurant in New York, is selling NFTs, and you have to own one to get in the restaurant. And they began wow. selling at about two and a half Ethereum, and the restaurant sold fifteen million dollars worth of of wow. uh, NFTs out of the box. Those kind of practical applications are coming, right. and, and, I, and I applaud I applaud Gary and people thinking about that beyond yeah. of I've got an I've got an NFT or I've got yeah. a coin, you yeah. know. But what's a practical application anyway? That's it. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Absolutely. And, and as I, as I winds up, um, so Ted, uh, when folks uh, spin the dial on the interwebs, where do they find you, Ted? Oh, just Ted Everywhere. Rubin wherever. Just Google Ted Rubin or go to any social <laughs> platform or at least uh, the old school ones. <laughs> You'll find me, but uh, um, um, I actually have a TikTok account. I'm not real active there, but uh, I certainly go there to see what's being created and I create some content myself. I've kind of pretty much abandoned Snapchat just because there's only so many hours in a day of where yeah. you can be checking things. And I kind of shifted over to the TikTok thing, except, you know, like all, all other good <laughs> social multiple applications folks i do post my tiktoks to to automatically <laughs> to snapchat because yeah. why not um yeah. but just ted rubin you can also call me i actually answer my phone 516-270-5511 or if you want to get somewhere where you're sure i'll follow up just uh email me at tedrubin at gmail.com cool thank you nice. ted. and john where where can people find you i'm at katadin on about everything k-a-t-a-d-h-i-n 
Uh, and like Ted, uh, I'm in the winnowing process of, uh, of social channels. I have uh, at least taken an extended pause from Facebook. Um, and, and, and as Ted said, there's so many hours in the day. Yeah. Uh, can't do all the things, right? And cool. it just, you know, right. I, I want to focus where I get value. Excellent. And uh, I presume the book, and I'll say the title again, Retail Relevancy, How Brands and Retails Will Connect in a Post-Physical World, is available on all good bookshops and some bad ones too, right? They can find that pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> Just go to Amazon. <laughs> all right, Liz. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we've run over wildly, but I hope everybody enjoys our conversation. Always a pleasure to, to catch up with you, Ted and John. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you very soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ted and John. As you can tell, I completely lost control of the time there. But such great guests and a topic that impacts all of us and lessons for whatever we are taking to market. A reminder, their book is called Retail Relevancy, How Brands and Retailers Will Connect with Shoppers in a Post-Physical Retail World. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to... Oh, my goodness gracious, it's so noisy in here. I mean, <laughs> what the heck is going on in the bar tonight? It, it, is, it is... I mean, it's, it's just like a cacophony in here. You've got, you, you've got some rock band in the corner there. <laughs> really rock star, uh, you know, CMO this week. I mean, that's crazy loud. Um, uh, it's crazy loud. We'll need to uh, give them a moment to finish this track, and then maybe we can continue. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Ah, well, ah. thank God that's finished. There you go. That's a, <laughs> very, very nice. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just have, a rock band this week, Robert. You're letting me off lightly. Good. I am letting you off lightly. Yes, <laughs> exactly right. You know. <laughs> so. Um, a, a wonderful uh, uh, a cocktail for you. Another uh, sort of, uh, you know, feeding off of the, the one we did last week. Yes. Another one where you can sort of decide how much you want to DIY this. Um, but you are familiar with the Baileys, a nice, uh, a nice Baileys Irish cream. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Ah, so what we have here, and it's also, you know, a fun one for a, a, a breakfast drink. If you're looking for a cocktail <laughs> at breakfast, I find a Baileys Irish cream. And who cream. isn't? is always nice now here's the thing we -hmm. like to make here in the bar at the rockstar cmo we like to really make that on our own Mm -hmm. and uh and so we diy it a little bit so it starts of course you know you've got to go with an irish whiskey here so my favorite there is a jameson um Mm -hmm. and so you have a little jameson irish whiskey and then you mix in and this is going to go into a blender uh, a little half and half um, and right. then again, depending on the way you like to sweeten things, um, mm-hmm. I don't like things too sweet. So you can do a sweetened condensed milk um, and add that in there, which will sweeten things considerably or sweeten as you like to sweeten, as I like to say. And then <laughs> add a little bit of cocoa powder to that and blend it all up into a lovely creamy uh, texture 
And there you go. You have an Irish Bailey's cream that is wow. lovely and homemade. Wow. So I need to get the blender out then. That you uh, do indeed. Be, the, yeah, the blender of, of some kind. Yes, of course. Yeah, you'll be surprised to know that um, I don't have the blender on my Rockstar CMO bar, but I do have a cocktail shaker cup in which I'm going to put some ice. Did you put ice in that? Uh, no, there's no ice in that. Oh, there's, I mean, okay. it's cold. We do put a little ice in there for the blending to make it a little creamy to blend it all up together, right. but just generally no. It's do just not cold. Serve and... it over ice. I mean, isn't yeah. it? All right. Anyway, so I've. Um, I've put that in there. Now then, uh, I am going to choose uh, a particular whiskey I'm fond of, which is called gin. Ah, yes. Uh, <laughs> some nice Hendrix gin here that I'm just going to slop into this here thingy. Ooh, there you go. Uh, a couple of slugs in there. And then uh, you said half and half, right? Indeed, and half and half, and then a little either condensed milk or however you want to sweeten, and then a tablespoon of cocoa powder to you know get nice. that sort of chocolatey, creamy taste. Mm. I'm going to go for that, absolutely, almost faithfully, because what I like to sweeten things with is extra dry vermouth. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and I should put a little bit of extra dried vermouth in that, I think. Ooh, okay. Too much extra dry vermouth. But I don't want to get into the game of pouring in more gin, more vermouth, more gin. Right, I'm going to stir that till it's really cold. I know that you didn't really do that, but we can pretend this is a blender. <laughs> it's, yes, it's a slow blend, a manual blend, if you will, yeah. The waft of this English whiskey across my desk. Yes. Right, now I'm going to use the little sippy thing again. Oh, that. Oh, that's in. It's freezing cold. Right. Let's give that a sip. Oh, that's delicious, Robert. Yeah. What did you call really that? Good. Yeah. I, well, I, you know, it, it basically Bailey's cream was uh, is is yeah. is there, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Irish whiskey, you know, cream, you know, whatever you like to call it. Surely that's been trademarked. Shouldn't you give it its own I name? Think, yeah, <laughs> I suspect it has. Bailey's Irish cream, yes. Well, I'm enjoying this Bailey's Irish cream. I shall probably try one of these in 2022 every week. There you you go. There you go. Mm. It's delicious. And while we're sipping these gorgeous uh, Bailey's creams, although I'm not getting much cream out of this or nut sweetness, uh, what would we, where would we be? Where are you going to transport us to? Well, I think we have to make our way up to the central California coast again. And I know it's a place we've been, it's been some time since we've been there, but um, getting up there would be lovely this time of year because it is Mm -hmm. the perfect time of year in California for that. So either Carmel or Monterey, um, there's a lovely place just off of, uh, you know, of course the made famous by John Steinbeck and Cannery Row um, up in Monterey. But there mm-hmm. are some beautiful little restaurants and bars in that uh, in that part of the world um, where we could find ourselves, you know, huddled up with a nice, uh, you know, Bailey's and uh, and nice. maybe have maybe have a little breakfast, a, med, a sort of a breakfast cocktail, if you will. Wow, I can't imagine drinking these at breakfast, but maybe that might be because of my ingredients. I, yeah, it may be. It may be the limitation in your bar. It, it may be having something to do with the. Uh, yes. The fortunate thing when we record this, the eight-hour time difference is in my favour. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. 
um, uh, that sounds that sounds lovely. And um, while we're sipping these Baileys uh, first thing in the morning, uh, preparing for some the day ahead, uh, what would we be discussing? Well, it's something that's been on my mind um, over the last. You know, it it really sort of came up um, over the last couple of different client engagements that I've had, mm-hmm. which is this. Uh, so. You're familiar with the phrase, and, and it's fascinating, the origin of this phrase. Are you familiar with the phrase, um, you know, building the airplane while flying it, right? I mean, it's, Oh, my God. Yeah. I think every job I've had, we've used that expression. You come in as a new CMO, and it's like, you know, you need to build the airplane while it's flying. Okay, yes. which it means don't fuck anything up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. And the funny thing is that, you know, so it may have originated – earlier mm-hmm. than this um, it's really hard to find an origination of that uh, of that phrase but certainly it was the technology and Silicon Valley sort of attitudes mm-hmm. of the early 2000s that made it popular um, yeah. the idea of building the airplane while flying it and that's you've got it exactly right it's usually invoked when you're trying to tr- do something new or innovative yeah. um, and you can't screw anything up to the existing <laughs> process as you do it and the funny thing is, is that it often comes up when I'm working with clients on content strategy or content marketing strategy yeah. or even just digital marketing strategy. Um, you know, inevitably what comes up is, you know, after, as, after we do the audit and look at their, you know, their challenges, mm-hmm. et cetera, is a to-do list, right? A, a to-do yeah. list and, you know, of things that they need to change. And so the fascinating thing is, is that we look at, doing these things and we realize that we can't mess anything up as we do these yeah. new things. They can't yeah. shut anything down while they implement all these new things. They still have to yeah. publish articles and publish blog posts and write program materials and launch campaigns and feed yeah. content to existing channels and do all these things. And everybody gets really frustrated because quote unquote, we have to fly the plane as, as you know, as, yeah. as we're building it. And I then say, and this has, you know, it comes with a little bit of a, you know, a head tilt, but I say, don't even try, stop trying to do that. Wow. Um, and the idea is, is what I sort of have come up with my own little metaphor or cliched phrase, if you will, which is <laughs> don't try to fly the airplane while you're, you know, uh, building the, the new one. Instead, let the existing planes fly and build an airplane factory <laughs> so that the wow. new airplanes yeah. that are coming out are basically uh, the things that you're trying to do. And, you know, just as an example of this, you know, I was, I was working with this company recently where, okay, so they were going to look at this new content marketing approach and basically what they got permission to do was sort of fix or modify the PR newsroom as a new sort of way to yeah. do content marketing. And, yeah. But the thing is, the newsroom, nor the website itself, quite frankly, where the newsroom sat, really suited itself to content marketing. The technology was wrong. The team right. members who were managing that thing were the wrong skill set. It, it was right. you know, on the wrong workflows and the wrong governance. Mm-hmm. And you know, everything about it was just you know, off. Uh, you know, it was not unlike sort of saying you know, to the team, hey, we need you to bring us into the jet airliner age, but we need you to repair this propeller plane while it's mm. in the air and do that. And basically, the the answer was let those planes fly and start looking at the team, the process, the technologies as a new way to start to approach mm-hmm. this idea 
rather than trying to fix the airplane in the air. In other words, you know, let it be, uh, you know, over there creating a new thing for the moment and then ultimately slowly let it replace the planes that are in the air with the new planes. Yeah. And that's, that's a better way to do this than it is to try and fix things while they're in the middle of the flight. Yeah, I love that analogy, particularly, I think, when you're working under that environment of fixing the plane while it's flying is obviously that analogy means that you can't chop the wings off because then you'll crash, right? And so there's always these sacred things, which is, we'll get to that later. You know, the new wings we'll do later because right now, if we do them, we'll crash. So I think that's, yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, facing a couple of things like that at the moment with uh, looking at a rebrand and things like that. And there's some things that are working quite well right now, but I'm pretty sure are not going to work well in a year's time. They're going to need messing with. And that might, the altitude of the plane might dip a little bit. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It's it's, it's one of the wings. And so, um, yeah. uh, So so when you talk about, I mean, the, the problem then for people, isn't it, is some of that analogy is what how you define what the aeroplane is. And it's, it's sometimes about resources, though, isn't it? Is that um, how do you how do you draw resources out of the flying plane without it crashing in order to build the plane factory? Yes. Well, you know, so there's no doubt. And, and the thing is, you know, as you uh, one of the things that typically comes around when you're trying to build something innovative and the and the innovative thing there um, it could be defined as a, a, a whole new process. It could be yeah. a whole new platform, you know, uh, or a whole new strategy, a whole new product, a whole new yeah. like you're talking about a new brand. And, you yeah. know, the the operating word there is new. Right. And and what we often want to do is leverage the things that we have um, as, you know, as ongoing things as we Mm -hmm. roll out the new thing. In other words, the question becomes, ah, well, we've sunk so much resources. I want to say money, right? Time Mm -hmm. and money, typically. Mm -hmm. We've sunk so much into that. How do we, you know, the question becomes, how do you, how do you fix that old thing? while it's still working Mm -hmm. and instead of trying to just say you know what at some point it's just not going to be necessary Mm -hmm. or oh it can be changed you know because it's not that you don't ever fix something while it's flying that you know in this particular case the example i gave they ultimately when they did launch the new thing with the new team and the new workflow process and the new technology they said great and then they went in and altered the old newsroom to reflect its right. role, its its new its new role to feed traffic into this um, into this new resource, and so it's yeah. not that you never fix the thing that's existing in flying, but the thing is is that trying to transform something into yeah. something new is often not always, but often sort of a a way to make sure that the new thing isn't nearly as optimal as it can be, and right. so and, and so it it, it is it, and and typically will create a pushback or a, a false uh, wall, if you will, on people because it is much more difficult. This I can say with a lot of confidence in business mm-hmm. having seen it. It is much more difficult to change processes, change culture, change existing platforms than it is to create new. Yeah. And it, because people just don't want to change, right? Because what yeah, it yeah. requires is 
to tell these people that what they've been doing for so long has been wrong. And mm-hmm. so that's when you get, oh, what do you mean wrong? And oh, why, you know, yeah. this thing is working here. And oh, this thing is, the, yeah. you know, for example, just go tell the sales department that you're going to delete all of the content on the website that hasn't been visited in the last eight months. You're going to delete all of it. You're going to take your website mm-hmm. from 5,000 pages to 100 pages. And because the top hundred pages are the only, oh my gosh, watch the, watch everybody's hair go on fire, right? Yeah, yeah. All of that. And, and the reason is, is because you're asking them to change. They're, they're saying, ah, what, what if, what, what if, you know, instead of saying, hey, we're going to launch a new website and this new website is going to be a hundred pages big and it's going to include all the wonderful things. Now all of a sudden Mm -hmm. people go, right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the objective is to help people get, you know, the journey through the website is simpler and cleaner and they'll get to the CTAs quicker and all that, you know, so you can talk about the benefits, can't you, rather than them being in this forest of content and lost. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I agree. But I think also there's a, with us marketers and especially with the, the, the talk about agile and iterative improvement and stuff, we're kind of driven to want to see the benefits much sooner, aren't we? Which is why it's very difficult to, um, say, look, I'm going to create this new thing, and we're going to we're going to have this old thing which nobody likes for another three months. And it's like, well, can't you improve that? God, we hate it, you know. And you're like, yes, no, that's right. in three months' time, man, it's gonna it's gonna be slick as hell, and we're going to do this. Oh, but can't you just look? I hate this thing, and the, right. the temptation <laughs> to right. to get pulled into that and make iterative changes and never really get to where you need to be is so strong, isn't it? That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's an excellent thought, uh, Robert. And I know that we're coming up for time because you have a very important client meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And I um, uh, and where can people listen, read other thoughts such as this? Ah, you can check us out at uh, contentadvisory.net, our sparkly polished up site. Splendid. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, my friend? You'll find me on all the social media channels and including our new sparkly YouTube channel, which has uh, been updated and all of that, where yes. you can see a lot of presentations and videos and interviews and all those kinds of things. Um, as, um, but uh, uh, in addition, uh, also on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Nice. I'll have to add your YouTube link to the show notes because I don't think I've got that on there. So I will include that as well, Robert. And will I see you in the bar next week, my friend? You will indeed. Excellent. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, mate, and I'll see you next week. Thank you, Robert. Some great advice as we are all building the plane while it's flying. So that's a wrap on episode 98 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast, part of the Marketing Podcast Network. If you made it this far, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Ted, John and Robert for sharing their insight please follow them say hello and check out all the links we discussed in the show notes which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes so does the world need another effing marketing podcast let us know we are rockstar cmo on linkedin or twitter and please drop a rating or review in your favorite podcast app or just keep listening i'm glad you're here
Next week, Jeff and I will explore the P's. Rebecca Beastman, CMO of Reputation Returns, to discuss corporate social responsibility. And we'll kick back with Robert in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Until then, stay safe, have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.